We are awakened early by a heavy rain shower. We quickly pack up the equipment and go for lunch in the camp. The soldiers set up a makeshift gazebo with a tarpaulin and ropes attached to the trees. Jensen's already up and preparing some kind of black tea that has an unfamiliar smell. Ah, there you go. This should get you up and moving. Then I want you to get the hell out of here and finish this trial. If you're ever in the area again and need a night's sleep before the big return, be my guest. You're on our way back, Corporal. And I was going to bring you and your men a claw each to thank you for your hospitality. When powdered, they fight against sleep and loneliness. I answer without asking the group for its opinion because I know they'll be more than happy to agree. Last night was the first really relaxed evening since the start of the trial. So I have to reward everyone for their effort. So that's how it's done, young prince. Kick his ass! Hope to see you here in three days. Be sure of it. And thank you. We set off again with a light step in the direction of the crossing. It's a good day's walk further east. Jensen has shown us a path that he and his soldiers cut on their way to our land. The vegetation doesn't seem to have grown back completely, and the walk is unusually quiet. The greenery on this side of the territory is slightly lighter. The soil content is changing. We are approaching the Ansem borders, and thus, the crossing. Sleek becomes strangely quiet again since we set off. Is it the line that's made him like this? I put it out of my mind, because I know the animal and its quirky bipolar nature, which allows it to switch from one emotion to another like a weather vane in the wind. The afternoon passes and the jungle reveals more and more undulating curves. At the top of a hill, we finally see it. A fortified stone construction erected at the top of a valley slope. This is the crossing. It serves as a landmark, but no one really gets close to it because the boundaries are still blurred there. And although Jensen seems trustworthy, I don't plan on tempting the devil. Surely in addition to the handsome patrols posted in the vicinity, there must be Adelar sentries, perhaps even crag fighters, sent by my father. Doubtful of what we might encounter in the area, I order everyone to stop walking. There's no need to go any further, as I can already see three peaks to the south, which form the great pit of the Mandracorns. And some undergrowth where the trees are more widely spaced, and where they meet for the breeding season. For the rest of the year, the dominant male never moves to guard the territory. He'll be here for sure, and we'll be there tomorrow at noon. Let's take a break here, gather our strength, because the next time we eat will be tomorrow at noon, after the fight. Shouldn't we move closer to the crossing to make sure we don't miss the place? No need. Look to the south. I point to the peaks, which from here look like three rounded green teeth. Sleek jumps for joy right there. Yes, this is the place! Look, Axolotl! 
Open your eyes! We made it! He turned Shackney in the right direction. Tomorrow we'll make him pay for the hell of the last few days, that rat! We raced down the hill, giddy as a child at the idea of finishing soon. We deliberately didn't eat this morning because fighting on a full stomach can be a bad idea. And also to avoid stinking up the food from a hundred strokes away. We take up our arms, leave our provisions here, buried away from curious animals. As we move through the jungle, I clutch my halberd, handed down to me from my father. We're committed to sticking to the Rex's plan as much as possible. Everyone knows their role. Rexus and I in the vanguard. Sleek lies in ambush. Shackney is assigned to protect the turtle, who will work the middle distance. It's simple. We've seen worse in recent days. As we move on, the jungle expands and the treetops get higher and higher. Here and there, we start to see mandracorn prints, tufts of hair, scars in the bark of tree trunks. We slow down the pace, of course, and end up moving at snail speed, without a sound. The half-light filters only thin halos of amber light, sometimes emerald, distilled by the opaque branches of the tall conifers. The smell of pine trees mingles with the silence and the gentle coolness of the place. Thick vines drip from a distant branch, sometimes an upturned stump covered with young moss adds to the harmony of this forest sanctuary. Any noise? Not a sound, not a mouse. It's then that a presence appears behind our back. Probably the one I felt the first night in the Carmine Forest, and which stole a few hours of sleep from me. A branch cracks, almost indiscernibly. The madricorn pit we're currently surveying is totally deserted. I realize we've been tricked. All in formation! I yell as I understand the danger we now face. The mandracorn has been on our trail since the first night. And we were never the hunters. There's no time to finish my sentence. A trunk breaks on our left. A shadow appears and mows down Shackney. Blood splashes on my face. She had no time to get out of the way. Her arm was swept away by the dominant male. The giant holds a trunk in each arm. Barely unbalanced by the power of the blow he threw, he's already on us. I reflexively throw my halberd at him with all my might. Never mind my halberd. We need to reposition ourselves. The point sticks in the chest of the mandracorn. No, it won't be enough to put him down. That animal has a thick hide. But I'm not Akiyanti's son for nothing. He's hit head on by the impact. He lays on his back about 10 strokes away. The brief respite allows us to slip away into a small clearing lined with lichen, and which reminds me of our arena. Wherever it comes from, we should see it coming. There's no way he'll have the upper hand against us in a field like this. Axolotl, how you doing? Holding on? Worry sleek, laying Shockney down behind a tree trunk. She hypercontracts her arm muscles to make a tourniquet. The remnants of her bicep are so large that they stop the bleeding. <laughs> 
How long for your arm? As if I lose an arm every day! How long? One minute, if I stay still! The Mandricorn has disappeared. There's no trace of him, and silence has returned. Which direction will he come from? I activate my sonar as best I can. It seems out of reach. I start with fear, when I hear a branch cracking three dozen strokes above our heads. Up there! The massive muscle is already tumbling down on us at meteoric speed. I push Shakni aside and avoid shaking her. The other three jump out of reach by instinct. The impact smashes the stump and sends shards of wood flying towards us. He could have killed one of us in one go. He doesn't seem to have been hurt by my attack. And obviously, once again, I've underestimated his intelligence. I try not to think about the fact that my father would be able to crush this monster in one fell swoop, or the distance between me and him. Because another problem has arisen. The Mandricorn holds my spear in his strongest arm and moves towards us with a step that shakes the ground. Rexus is already getting in between us. Our cancer, a needle for the pain in my hands. I'll create a diversion. Sleek! Roll around Vine and climb. When you have a window, send your best lightning to it without worrying about me. Amanaka, that's when you'll get your weapon back. I don't have time to object, as the Squilla is already advancing toward the Mandricorn. He's much smaller than the beast, and his shell reflects greenish-gray halos that almost blend in with the color of the undergrowth. Rexus walks at a calm and measured pace, despite the difference in mass between them. He slowly unravels the strips of cloth around his burnt hands, bends his fingers to check that everything is in place, and cracks his fist. The beast stops. They stare at each other for two long seconds, maybe three. With a single thrust, Rexus covers the twenty strokes that separate them. The Squilla is as fast on land as he is in the water. The Mondracorn has no time to react as Rexus is already unleashing his blow. Explosion is terrible. It's said that some mantis shrimp hit so hard in the water that they're able to break rock. I believe our Squilla to be in this category. Oh yes. The blast of the impact reaches us and raises a large cloud of dust. His blow is stuck between the horns and the strongest part of the skull. The male is stunned and takes a few steps back. He shakes his head, dazed then roars. Rexus repeats the maneuver and throws a second punch, even more powerful than the previous one. The Mondracorn kneels on the ground. Is he holding off a Mondracorn alone? Says Shackney, half of whose arm has already grown back. He's taunting it to give us an opening. Not to mention the fact that the male is about to go into a trance. The monster huffs puffs, and blood seems to flow from his eyes, but he rises again. He rears up on his two legs and finally runs at Rexus, who starts to dodge the avalanche of blows that rain down on him one after another. The beast is equipped with three tree trunks and my weapon. His strokes are individually slow, yet they flow so smoothly together in an unstoppable roll. Bang, bang, bang taking different angles. They are lethal. The balance of power shifts. He looks for blind spots, gets Rexus to dodge in one direction to strike back. 
One shot often hides another from an opposite angle. The Skrilla seems to understand his game because the bug, constrained by primitive mechanisms, repeats a series of twelve identical moves. Yes, the Skrilla understands the sequence in a flash and predicts which arm will drive the next attack. The margin of error for Rexus is very small, the slightest misstep, and he could end up crushed or impaled. But for now, everything seems to be going according to plan. Gradually, the Skrilla allows himself to be pushed out of the clearing into a place with more trees to limit the scale of the blows, where the ground is covered with roots, holes, and stones. Rexus, with frightening composure, responds by twisting his torso with controlled speed, as if gliding gracefully through the attacks that rain down on him endlessly. He slogs between the trees, without his back ever hitting an obstacle, as if he's already memorized all the objects around him. The Mondrakorn gets angry, and his speed increases, but Rexus holds on. And then the Skrilla finally finds an opening. His body contorts at an impossible angle. His thigh flexes, and a powerful right hook breaks the beast's ribs, which give way under the immense impact. His opponent is unbalanced, but seems to be endowed with extraordinary strength and resistance, somehow finding stability. He regains his balance and attacks again. The Skrilla's footwork consists of many small, almost imperceptible movements that allow him to dance around the beast. He jumps out of the way, he shifts, he faints. He draws the blow and punishes the beast's right flank with a new hook. This time, ravages its internal organs. Another shockwave created by the power of the blow. Another counterattack by the beast. Rexus decides to go back on the offensive. He cuts the distance with an uppercut to the jaw and returns to the fray with a series of jabs that crash like thunder. He's kicking the shit out of a Mondrakorn. The match between the two is incredible. I almost want to stay out of it, just to see what happens. My sonar locates the eel high up, a few strokes from the two fighters. And he, being in the front row, seems to be as hesitant as I am. But Sleek won't make the same mistake as in the fight against the Blue Giant, because he's as afraid as I am that the Skrilla will defeat the monster alone and get all the credit. Our speculations are over, as the Mandracorn abruptly changes tactics. Instinct, probably. After a blow from the trunk that Rexus manages to avoid, he wraps his tail around a sapling to alter his balance. The next move differs from the mechanical series repeated from the outset. The beast is on the ground, and another arm strikes a circular blow, this time in the direction of Rexus's knees, and he had not anticipated this. The Skrilla is forced to leap into the air, where he has no support. The Mondrakorn grabs a vine that groans under the tension and propels the whole mass of his body. His spear is armed. As prodigious as he is frightening, this thing understands the workings of the tools in its hands, and inevitably, he knows the difference between a makeshift club and a sharpened halberd. Rexus would have been impaled had he not deflected the blade with his fists. He crashes to the ground, rolls, and gets back into position. The Mondrakorn is still hanging from a branch by its tail, grunts, and drops from a height of 20 strokes. It's then that he uses an ability that I didn't know he had. As he lands, he hits the ground with all the power of his forearms, without letting go of his weapons. 
The violence of the impact almost makes me lose my balance, and despite being at a good distance, but for the Squilla, things must be very different. Rex's guard is down. He seems to be frozen on the spot, and his body shakes with tiny vibrations as a tree trunk is about to smash his skull. He's going to be pulverized, and I'm too far away to intervene. But the Mandalorian stops dead in his tracks and convulses. Sleek has dropped onto his back and is electrocuting it with everything he has. Stop the juice! I cry while taking a run up. As our opponent is stunned, I pick up my spear from the ground, determined to make him pay for our axolotl. With a powerful blow from my waist, I slice his arm off. The bones crack, and the smell of his flesh is foul. Remarkable coordination on the part of the eel. If Sneak had taken any longer to take his shot, at best he would have been an irritant. At worst, he would have electrocuted me. With a quick movement, I grab Rexus and pull him back behind the stump alongside Arkansa and Shackney. Sleek joins us. Is everyone okay? He's less resistant than your father, this one. My arm's working! Good, because we're going to need it. What was that thing? Basically, it paralyzes you. It's a kind of vibration when he hits the ground. It can only do so with the help of gravity, with sufficient height. Don't lose sight of it, and stay away when it falls again. Speaking of which, where did it go? When I turn around, my eyes meet only silence. The Mondracorn has faded into the emerald gloom. Over your heads! Be prepared! I adjust my clammy grip on the handle of the halberd and point the cutting edge towards the treetops, ready for anything that might come down. Do you think he got away? If that's the case, he won't get far with one arm missing. Says Rexus, contemplating the state of his fists. We go around the stump and head in careful formation towards the place where I sliced the arm off. The limb is still on the ground and is now turned purple. A few flies and carnivorous cockroaches are already beginning to take over the still warm flesh to ply their trade. The blood trail heads west. Sometimes in small drops of blood in the moss, sometimes in long drips that smear the bark of a tree. We relax our stride to make ourselves as inconspicuous as possible, well aware that it will probably be spotted from a distance. After stepping over a winding mass of roots as thick as my thighs, which comes and goes on the surface of the ground, the mandricorn's trail fades away. It's still in the trees, no trace of hooves anywhere. I can feel something. Shut up, all of you! She places a needle in her spinal cord and turns her ear to the jungle. A buzzing sound. It's coming. Get in position, everyone! Group together. The second he lands, everyone step aside. I'll keep him busy. The branches begin to rustle in the distance, and then the rustling becomes cracking. Soon the treetops are raging. It's coming. Before we have time to understand the monster's intentions, a round object crosses the space in our direction and crashes to the ground. Get out of the way! Yell Sleek who's recognized a nest of white hornets. The roar is immediate, and a thousand insects the size of fists flood out of the broken nest. 
Hawk is already sending needles toward everyone. Antidote or repellent. I'm stung about ten times. The pain's like red-hot iron injected into the veins. By instinct, I move about ten strokes away, keeping the mandracorn in sight. Sleek is still there. His electricity roasts the insect on the spot. But from the curses he's uttering, I reckon the hornets are trying a few suicidal stings, which hit the mark. Shockney has detonated a toxic shell at her feet and is hardening her entire muscle mass. The hornets circle around the flames and collapse after a few seconds. Rexus stays in the middle, his shell making him fearless. The Mondracorn also appears to be immune. He ignores the hundreds of stabs he's receiving every second. He sends a second nest that explodes in a trunk near the Squilla. I tell the turtle to move another 20 strokes backward, beside me. We move to a safe distance and arrange ourselves in a wide arc around the two nests. The insects don't give chase. The beast continues to target Rex's. It swings from branch to branch and soon finds itself above the lone Squilla. She drops to the ground and arms herself to do the same to him. Our boxer leaps back as he falls. The Madricorn decides to use its last trunk as a projectile. Its precision is frightening. The wooden cylinder flies at Rex's, who cannot avoid it. The squill unleashes a jab into the log, which shatters into a thousand pieces. The Madricorn uses this diversion to pick itself up, leap again, and attack the squilla head on. But Rex's has anticipated this. Before his opponent lands to smash the ground and unleash a paralyzing shockwave, he cuts the distance again, leaps over the Mondracorn, and strikes the back of his skull. Crack! The head of the great ape hits the ground and sinks with a thud. You got him! He got the bastard! The trance of the Mondracorn is well known in Crag mythology. It's found in fighters' songs, in familiar expressions, in children's stories, and in great legends. I was excited to have a chance to observe it, but I had no idea what it all meant. Because if I had, you can be sure, I'd have ordered a more concise plan to be drawn up before we ever ventured out of the village. When the shrill whistle starts to sound through the woods, it nearly perforates our eardrums. The cry of the great ape is similar to that of whistling steam when glass is plunged into water, only much more powerful. The frequency is so high that it penetrates our skin, gets into our flesh, scrapes our bones, claws our brains. I get the feeling that my blood is freezing in my veins, burning my whole being. Beast moves. He rears up on his hind legs, grabs what's left of his weapon. The size hasn't changed, so he looks even more imposing. As the scream fades, his veins swell and his muscles contract. His eyes glower and blood and foam rip from his mashed mouth. I'm having a bad trip here! The true face of a mandracorn. It's coming. Get ready. Mandricorn goes into a trance when it's cornered, and when it knows that danger is real. He then decides to enter a survival stage, 
where he goes beyond his physical limits and sacrifices himself for the good of his species and his clan. It's a type of suicide in which he takes everyone with him. The trance only lasts a few minutes and could be mistaken for a kind of anger. But in fact, it's the expression of the will to live of an entire species. Facing us in its most ferocious form. Surround him! Shackney has started filling the field with poisonous shells, including a certain amount around Arkansa. Meanwhile, the turtle has stuck a needle in her neck. Rexes and Sleek are on the right of the monster, behind a group of ferns. Behind him, the turtle has taken cover behind a large pine tree, Shackney in position to his left, and me facing him. The huge primate strikes the earth again with all its might, but it's too far away to stun us. Its range must be about five strokes, and I've ordered everyone to stay out of range as much as possible. We're splattered by a tuft of earth. He takes his first step in my direction and punches again. The impact is identical to the previous blow. He leaps forward, lands right in front of me. The vibrations rob me of my speed and cause me to drop my halberd. I won't be able to dodge the blow, so I present my skull as best I can. The trunk crashes against my forehead, and it's like getting hit by a boulder in the head. There's no time to dwell on the pain. I grab the Mondragon by its chest mane, pull myself up to his height, and give him a headbutt that breaks his jaw. I go behind his back, wrap my arms around his waist, take hold, with a push, arch my back, and throw us both backwards. This wrestling hold is called the half-pipe. It's designed to take down opponents heavier than the practitioner. It was Malachi, my father's friend, who taught it to me when I was a child. His head hits the ground, and his neck breaks. On the window offered to me, I take the opportunity to put him in a chokehold and break one of his three remaining arms. He screams. I get out of the way, pick up my weapon from the ground, and regain a safe distance. He chases. I lose ground on purpose, making flexible leaps. As I retreat, the turtle shoots poison needles into his back. The lack of reaction tells me he's feeling no pain. Shakti gives me a sign. She sees the boomerang. She's going to try and mow him down. Without his legs, he'll lose the ability to paralyze us. She arches her back. Her arm contracts and swells. She throws. The jet blows away all the vegetation in its path. The boomerang, invisible to the naked eye, crashes into the huge being. He's thrown off balance, falls forward, catches himself on one of his arms. In the meantime, Rexus and I have had the same idea. We each attack him on one flank. The that gets there before me, which is a good thing. He throws a jab that shatters his jaw. The beast has no time to understand where the attack came from, and I'm already on him. A direct stab to skewer him from one lung to the other. He deflects my shot. His two arms grab my spear. He tries to snatch it out of my hands. The Mondrakorn gets on its feet. I hold onto the handle and soon my feet lift off the ground. I pull on my arms and with a swing throw both my talons at him. His nose cracks and I send a second layer, then a third. His muzzle is pissing bloody mush and he's flailing around. His strength shakes me at the end of the shaft as if I were a leaf. Me, a male orca. He hits the ground again and I realize I'm alone with our target because Rexes had been clever enough to retreat. Only her cancer continues, sending needles. Eventually, 
She hits an eye. He panics, and in his pain, sets out to finish me off. He raises the hubbard in the air, with me dangling at the end. I find myself dangling above his foaming maw. He gets his therm arm ready to send me a mighty blow with his trunk. But he's forgotten that I'm more of a resistance fighter. The trunk comes down and I absorb the blow with my shin while tightening my grip on the weapon. My spear and I fly out of his hand with the energy of the impact and I glide down to land on my legs five strokes away. <sighs> the beast seems to have forgotten what fear is and I'm getting tired of the animal's endless mad rage. So what the hell? I decide to ram into him. The Mondracorn hits the ground again. I absorb the full force of the impact. It's painful, but doesn't stun me. I slash his thigh with a single cut. He drops his guard and gives me a perfect angle. I throw a huge punch at his chest. Thrown three strokes away, he rolls on the ground, staggers back to the fray. Meantime, Shakti is tripled in size, ready for battle. With an overpowering throw, she slits a boomerang that severs a new arm at the shoulder. More than one, as well as a young tree in the background. Despite his trance, I can feel he's getting shaken. He staggers for a moment, but this time, it's Rexus who ends up smashing his face with a perfect hook. The beast takes it. Can this creature be killed? He sends another jolt, and the four of us move aside. This is what he expected. The fight has made me forget the initial idea to protect the turtle. He runs at her with all the speed he can muster. Hark! Your shell! The opponent steps on the thorny shells. He screams in pain, but he doesn't slow down. He leaps into the air as his fall strikes a blow with the last of his able-bodied arm. The impact slams like a rock. Hakanza is thrown in the air like a child's toy, crashing into a tree 30 strokes away. The Mondracorn's already on her. She'll be taken down if we don't do something. Then Sleek tumbles from the sky, clinging to a vine, screaming like a fool, crashes into the monster, wrapping around the thigh. The shocks must be terrible. The beast's horn is starting to smoke. Soon he turns blue, and his one eye seems about to pop out of its socket. He pulls at Sleek, screaming under the strain, grabs him with a huge paw, squeezing. Squeezing, he throws him to the floor like dirty laundry. He's gonna kill him at this rate. Rexus throws a blow with all his strength into the monster's back, but the Skrilla takes the blow and passes out. The opponent's vertebrae must have been crushed, but that isn't enough. The axolotl has run out of boomerangs. The Mondracorn has already lost, he can feel it. The poison, the blows, and electricity of Sleek have done for him. The problem is that his last burst of life could take my friend to the grave with him. Sleek screams in pain and emits electric arcs that literally fry the monster from all sides. The fight must be stopped. And above all, my friend must be pulled out. I start a run, grab a vine, and support myself on a trunk. With a thrust, I'm in the air and fall with all my mass on top of the creature. Although I know that when my blade comes into contact with the electrified creature, the pain, for me, will be unbearable, accompanied by the sensation that my blood and my brain are about to fry. But if my father can take it, then so can I! Sleek screams are excruciating and blind me to these considerations. I tighten my grip on the handle, ready to throw all my strength into the move. 
When my blade makes contact with the top of the beast's skull, the pain lasts only a fraction of a second. Bones, flesh, cartilage, and guts crack and tear as I pass. The mandracorn splits vertically from head to crotch. The two halves of the beast spill to the ground on either side of my weapon. Like the quarters of an apple, in an eruption of blood and guts, the smell. Sleek falls back onto the sand beside me. It's over.